Welcome to The Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations for drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. Hey, how's it going out there, everybody? Welcome to the Drum Shuffle. Jamie Eads joining you as always. This is episode 87. I hope everybody's having a fantastic week out there. We're having a great week over here at the Drum Shuffle World Headquarters. Have a fantastic interview for you today. We are going to be rejoined by the wonderful Dina Torriello right after this message from our sponsor, Los Cabos Drumsticks. The best kept secret for drummers is finally out. Los Cabos drumsticks may look like the sticks you grew up with, but these are not your father's drumsticks. Los Cabos drumsticks is Canada's number one drumstick brand, and they are coming to a retailer near you. With operations in over 28 countries worldwide, thousands of drummers have already discovered the Los Cabos difference. Using FSC certified wood from Canada and the US, Los Cabos make the finest quality drumsticks, percussion tools, and accessories on the market. The best news, Los Cabos Drumsticks offers you a ton of choice. They have 22 individual drumstick models and 14 percussion tools, many of which are available in three different wood types, maple, white hickory, and red hickory. Red hickory comes from the center or heart of the hickory tree and has been independently proven to be both stronger and more elastic than white hickory without adding a lot of weight. While most drumstick manufacturers have shunned red hickory, Los Cabos Drumsticks has embraced it, becoming the only established stick brand in the world to offer a full line of red hickory drumsticks. To learn more about Los Cabos Drumsticks, visit them online at loscabosdrumsticks.com Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and don't forget to ask for Los Cabos Drumsticks at your favorite retailer. Dare to be different. Join the Red Hickory Revolution with Los Cabos Drumsticks. All right, everybody. I know that you are going to enjoy this interview. Um, Dina Toriello is uh, just a fantastic human being, first and foremost, just one of my favorite people uh, and, and so glad that I've gotten to know her and, and we've become friends. Uh, but she is just absolutely getting it done on Broadway. Um, the last time Dina joined us was way back on episode 51. So if you haven't caught that episode, go back and listen to it because we talked about, you know, where she came from and her upbringing and all that good stuff. But at that time, she was just getting ready to finish her run with the Head Over Heels musical that featured the music of the Go-Go's. And I invited Dina to come back and catch everybody up on what she's up to now, uh, which she is drumming in Little Shop of Horrors on Broadway. And they did a cast uh, album that just hit the streets a couple of weeks back. Uh, But it's always great to catch up with Dina. And she's just so insightful and so positive about everything. I know everybody's going to love this interview. So please help me welcome back to the drum shuffle, Dina Toriello. Hey, Dina, good morning. How are you, friend? 
I'm good, Jamie. How are you? Well, I'm doing okay. I can't uh, can't complain. Been been battling a little bit of a cold, so I might sound a little funny. So uh, bear with me on that. No problem. So uh, how are things in the in the big city? I know you've been really busy, and we're going to dive into all that. But uh, are things well with you? Things are great here. Things are great. We've had a, a fairly mild winter thus far here in uh, New Jersey, New York City, and uh, it's been it's been pretty bearable so far. Knock on wood. So all is well. So no snowmageddon yet this year for you. Not yet. We had a little snow uh, on Saturday, two day, a couple days ago. We had some snow, but um, but uh, it's been like super mild and and really, you know, actually nice being outside. Nice doing the commute six days a week and, you know, no worries. So that makes life a lot easier around here. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Well, so the last time we had you here on the drum shuffle, uh, and, and thank you for coming back. We really appreciate it. I love catching up my with pleasure. you. Yeah. We, you know, you're, you're, you're one of my favorite people on the planet. So we always love having you Aww, here. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, so the last time we had you here, it was way back on episode 51. It's been over a year ago, just over a year ago. And when we last spoke to you, I think you had either four or five shows left, uh, with the head over heels, um, musical. And you were, I, I think where we left it was, you know, I've got some things in the hopper. I'll come back and tell you what those are. So Talk to us a little bit about how your run ended with Head Over Heels, and I know you're doing the Little Shop of Horrors show now, but maybe there was something that kind of happened in between. Talk to me a little bit about a Broadway player. You know, when one show ends, you're probably like, oh my God, I got to find something else. Talk to <laughs> us about that process, and then let's get into Little Shop. All right, we'll do. So taking us back about a year, um, finishing up Head Over Heels was very, very emotional for me. Um, you know, I started work there, uh, let's see, it was February of, of 2018, and then we went to San Francisco and we ran for six weeks and then came to Broadway and did previews in June, and then we ran until... January, just to give you kind of an over, a refresher on the, the time frame. So I was with these folks for all in all a little under a year. And that's a pretty good amount of time to spend together when you're there six days a week, eight shows a week, right? Yeah. So um, they were really wonderful people, in addition to being really incredibly talented. Um, I mean, there was incredible choreography in the show. There was, you know, a tremendous amount of vocal um requirements from all these people. Right. And it was, they were just nuts. They were all so talented and they were lovely. And it was really a, a true pleasure to go to work every day and be in that environment. And people had said to me, don't get used to this. Shows aren't, aren't usually like this or aren't always like this, you know, in terms of how great it was, the vibe, you know, everybody talks about, um, you know, the vibe and the hang are the words that you hear a lot. The hang, it's about the hang, meaning, are you cool to be around? And if you are, you're going to get more work, you know, don't, don't be a pain yeah. in the ass. It's kind of a, <laughs> kind of a gist, you know? Yeah. Well, so, and you know, um, we, we talk about that all the time on this show and, and, you know, I know you listen to episodes when you can, but I mean, it's, you know, it's, you know, 40% about your playing and 60% about yeah. the hang. Cause you're, you know, Absolutely. 
in a traditional rock band, you know, you're trapped on a 50 foot long metal tube 22 hours a day with those people, you know, and it's that's right. And you toured for a long time with Antigone Rising and, you know, you guys yep. were road dogs. Um, we were. And I know that you're just a pleasure to be around. But, you know, I think what we're what we're getting at is some of these Broadway shows, you know, people are like, oh, crap, I got to go do two shows today with these people and they're monsters. You know? So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, kind of the kind of the upside, you know, if you're working with as a musician, if you're working with people in the cast who maybe aren't so nice, I think you have a little more of an option to remove yourself from them. You know, you're in your pit, you're in your room, you know, head over heels. I literally was by myself almost the entire show. um, Oh, that's right. Yeah. In my own room, you know, because we did the reveal at the end of the show. So the rest of the band was actually up on stage. Right. They were behind a scrim and then I would run up there and join them. So I literally was by myself almost the whole time. Um, so you can, if you have to, you can, you can get yourself out of Dodge. Like you can, you can hide yourself if you have to, <laughs> but that's no fun. You know, right. it's a lot of, those are, you know, like I said, six days a week, you know, you have to go and you have to be around these people and it's just much nicer if you like everyone and you get along. It's just, it's, it's enjoyable to be there. So I had that and saying goodbye to that in addition to sort of the uncertainty of, well, how long, if and if and when, you know, you don't even want to assume you're going to get another show. You know, you, you do the math. There's, I think, 42 or 43 Broadway theaters. Yeah. And not every show is a musical. So you scale that down, you're into probably the 30s-ish of how many Broadway chairs there are. Right. Or even less than 30, you know, if you, if you do math on that. So well, and in the city, there's 7 million players that are fantastic, <laughs> right. you know. So it, right. you, you I, I get where you're coming from. You can't just assume you're going to go right back to work in a week or two. Yeah. And, and, and having been on the inside of the Broadway experience and watching a show get put together and um, kind of seeing, t- hearing them talk about the process of when, the show, they first started doing readings and workshops and all this stuff. It takes years for shows to go from their infancy stages of here's, here's a show and let's do a reading or let's do a workshop. And then here, Oh, we have a theater and we're going to do this. You know, it's yeah. like seven years, eight years, five years. I mean, they, they, they don't take a minute, you know? Right. So even that in and of itself makes it a whole other level of, wow, this takes a long time. Oh, and then we have to wait until we have a theater. Oh, and then we have to see if we have money. And then we have to, you know, there's all these (laughs) tremendous amount of variables. So at our closing party, such a strange thing in Broadway. When you open a show, they say happy opening. And when you close the show, they say happy closing. And to me, there was nothing happy about it. You know, I was very, very, very sad having to say goodbye to this opportunity and these people although so incredibly thankful for having had the, the experience and having had the opportunity to work on the show. That's the only, that was the only good thing, you know, happy quote unquote about it, you know? Right. So we're at this, this after party and the go-go's were there and we're sort of like, you know, going around the room and talking to people and all this stuff. And I make my way around the room and I go to our music supervisor, whose name is Tom Kitt. And if you don't know that name, if you are into Broadway at all, if you pay attention a little bit to your playbills or to what's happening on theater, you should know the name because the man is involved in so many shows. It's mind boggling. He's first of all, one of the nicest people on the planet and 
as incredibly talented as he is nice. So he does orchestrations, he writes music, he does all this stuff. And he was the supervisor on Head Over Heels, and he was working on or had another show in the cooker. Well, I mean, several, but he spoke to me specifically on the night of our closing party. He says, hey, I have another show for you. Oh, and what I a thought, relief. <laughs> are, you, oh, are you kidding me? I couldn't believe it. I almost fell over. And he says to me, the show is Magic Mike. It's the Broadway adaptation of the movie, Channing Tatum, and Steven Soderbergh produced it, and blah, blah, blah. For those of you who aren't familiar, it was an enormous money-making machine. And I was excited not only to have another show, but to have a show that was knowing nothing, little to nothing about it, because I hadn't yet seen the movie. Um, I knew that it had done exceptionally well in the movie theater. So you think just in terms of a fan base and who that will translate to for a Broadway following, you think, oh, this could run for probably about a year without even trying very hard. Right, well, right because of so, the name recognition alone. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And people who love the movie and they're going to be interested and they're going to want to see it. So I was so excited. And my partner, now wife, Sandra, was extremely excited because we we're like, oh my gosh, this is going to be, you know, this is, what a relief. This is great. We signed a two-year lease on a new apartment. We're like, we're rocking and rolling, right? Yeah, everything's so good. So he explained to me, yeah. So we think, right? Right. Um, he explains to me the time frame. We were going to look to do a lab in May. So this was this past May. Um, and it was going to do a little rehearsal stuff in, in New York City in October, run in Boston, and then open on Broadway sometime in 2020. And I'm like, that's amazing. So literally the end of January, so just about a year ago, tickets went on sale for Boston and they were selling out and it was like, we were at this huge theater and again, so excited. So we're in, it, now it's May we're in, into the lab. We're doing, you know, we're four days into the lab and there were creative differences. I think between the producers, Steven Soderbergh was producing the show, you know, was one of the producers as was Channing Tatum. And these are Hollywood people. Yeah. And one of the things that I'm hearing now that I've, you know, expanded my circles and I've met new people and I talk to people in the Broadway world, how people who aren't Broadway people and who try to either write music or do music or bring things to Broadway don't necessarily understand Broadway and what makes th makes things work for a Broadway audience versus what makes things work on a, on a screen. You know, they're just, yeah. they're just different. Yeah, well, so, and, and you're talking about, between, it, it, not to interrupt, but you're talking about two immovable objects, too. The way Hollywood does things and the way Broadway does things, it, it, you know, there, there are reasons for it, but those are two immovable objects. So I can see where heads exactly. might butt a, a, a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. So in sort of piecing it together, it just seemed that they're, you know, like things, were, they were wanting things done a certain way and then things couldn't or wouldn't be done a certain way. And they decided to just pull the plug on it. So they, I literally, they called us into the, to the rehearsal studio and at three o'clock, which was strange. And we had, they'd been, they'd given us the day off prior, which was also a little odd. And I didn't know what was up. And I go in thinking, okay, well, we're just starting late today and whatever. And I'm like getting my music, my, my charts up and I'm getting ready to start rehearsing. And they say, we have an announcement to make. The show's been canceled. <laughs> and my jaw hit my snare drum. Like, I was, are you what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Man, I just signed so a new lease. Plans, 
<laughs> right. What about my, oh no. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that sucks. So I, I was like, I got sucker punched. I just, the wind was just knocked out of me. I couldn't believe it. And, you know, you think, I don't know. I'm so, I'm so new to this that I never in a million years thought that that would happen. And I knew Tom had said he'd been working on the show for seven years. So wow. there you go. Done. Yeah. So, and that's all that I know about it. You know, it was creative differences and it's done. And I, you know, anything, anytime I, you know, try to do any research, cause I'd like to see what's coming. Not only do I work, you know, in this arena, but I enjoy it as well. So we like to go see shows and we like to know what's happening, and you know, what's coming in and it just vanished. So it seems like it's just done and it's never coming back. So I'm like, okay, now what? So before I had started working on that lab, um, I had been called to do an off-Broadway show over the summer. And I was like, okay, great. Timing will, will work. You know, the, the lab for Mike is in, May. We're not doing anything until October. I can do this off-Broadway thing over the summer. It's awesome. And what I'm also learning in navigating this crazy world is the earlier you can get in on something, the more likely more likelihood you have that it becomes yours if it comes to Broadway. So if you're in on it from the beginning stages, it's it's common courtesy that you get asked to do the show. It doesn't always happen that way, but it typically happens that way. So I'm like, great, let me do an off-Broadway thing. And then if it goes to Broadway, like, I'm in, you know, this right. is great. Right. And it was um, a rock opera of the Lizzie Borden story. And it's been running all over the world. It's run in a couple of cities here in the States. And it's run in, I forget which countries, but several countries, other countries. And the music is amazing. And I was so excited about it. And same thing. We were a few weeks away from, we actually had a theater. It was announced. We were moving into this off-Broadway theater. And I got a call from the same music contractor who was working on Magic Mike. And he's like, you're not going to believe this. I got bad news for you. And I go, what? He goes, Lizzie's canceled. (laughs) I go, you're kidding me. And he's like, no, dude, I'm so sorry. (laughs) He's like, literally in two weeks, it was somewhere in a two or three week window. I lost two shows. Man, come on now. I mean, it's, you and know, now I'm going, uh, are you kidding? Is this a joke? Am I being punked? Like, what's that? Is there a camera? What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I think we've all lost gigs before. I mean, whether it's Broadway or, you know, I mean, gigs end. You know, I mean, I, I've i played in bands that were, you know, out doing stuff. And it's like, yeah, man, I'm I'm just I'm going off the road. I'm not I'm not playing yeah. anymore. You know, I'm going home to my family. Yeah. So, you know, to have two of those in quick succession, I'm sure at some point you're like, man, what is really going on here? Yeah. And it's just, you know, again, since Head Over Heels was my first Broadway thing, I hadn't ever subbed. I hadn't, you know, I hadn't done anything. And so I don't, I don't really know this world or I'm starting to learn it. Obviously, it's a learn as you go. You figure it out as you go along kind of thing in terms of how things work and what can happen, what does happen, what's the norm, what's, you know. Obviously, this is unusual, but it it does happen. You know, these things happen. Unfortunately, they happened to me in a really short period of time, and it was a really painful learning lesson because, you know, one of the things that is so attractive about doing doing Broadway work is that it's consistent. You know, the pay per show isn't, isn't what's so lucrative. It's the consistency that makes it a lucrative gig, you know, that makes it 
good money. Yeah. You know, especially for us in the world of entertainment, to know that you have eight gigs a week for an indefinite amount of time is such an incredible blessing and a relief. Well, yeah, because you're, thing that, you're not out there scratching to make it happen. You know, I mean, you, you it, so it, I, I get that, you know, to have that consistency and, you know, you know, what's going to be deposited into the bank next Friday. I mean, that's huge in the world of entertainment. Mm-hmm. You know, so, it's, it's such an incredible blessing. And then one of my one of I have a drummer friend who calls shows like you know, Hamilton or Wicked or Lion King, the ones that just run forever. He calls them government jobs. <laughs> because you know they're not going anywhere. You just have this job, you know, and then you get to go to work every day. And it's, it's, those shows are obviously really rare. Yeah. And then the thing, you know, what I've found that happens to us, and this is just the nature of the beast, it's really hard to stay in the moment and, in, and appreciate what you have and enjoy what you have. You know, here I am at Little Shop now, thank God, you know, August, you know, the, I think it was July, I got called. So I think June might have been when I got the call, maybe it was early June, saying that Lizzie wasn't happening. And then, and I think we were supposed to open in early July. And then it was July that I got an email asking me to go take a meeting with the guy who was set to be the music director of Little Shop. And I didn't even know what show it was. It was like the email said... Hey, um, this guy, you know, is, is putting some people together for a new show that's coming in. Um, and he wants to meet with you. I think you should go. It was the same music contractor. Michael Aaron's yeah. is his name. So now he's, I worked with him on head over heels. He's the one who called me for head over heels. He was the contractor for, um, magic Mike and for Lizzie and for little shop. So I've now done, you know, all four of my shows have been with, have been with Michael. So he called me. And, uh, and was like, you sent me an email and said, you should go meet with, with this guy. And I was like, okay, great. And I met with him in July. And two weeks later, I got, I got told that the gig was mine and we were starting rehearsals in the middle of August. Well, and that had to be so a huge relief, went, you know, obviously. Uh, it was such a relief. I was like, oh, thank God. And then to know sort of, I didn't even know that Little Shop was coming. And to know that it was not only that show, but the star power in this show was a huge relief because the plan is for this to be like the original adaptation that was off Broadway for five years. They are intentionally keeping it in a small theater. They want it to be a small theater. They don't want to take it to Broadway, even though it's, you know, when we opened, it was Jonathan Groff. I don't know if you're familiar with that name, but he is the, you know, for those who don't know, He's the voice of Kristoff in Frozen. He was in, well, he's a, a two, I think he's a two-time Tony-nominated actor. He was in the original Spring Awakening, which is where he started. He was the original king in Hamilton. He uh, is on the Netflix series Mindhunter. He's the lead in Mindhunter. He was on Glee. Okay, so he was yeah. not a chump by any means. Like, he's pretty, he's pretty well-known. And the lines are like around the around the block for him to sign autographs every night. And Christian Borrell, who's a two-time Tony-winning actor, and Tammy Blanchard, who is an Emmy-winning actress. I think she's been once or twice Tony-nominated. So these are heavy hitters, and even the creative team. It's you know Michael Mayer's the director who's won a, you know been nominated for a Tony in every major category and has won a Tony. It's the uh, the sound designer from Hades Town. It's 
the lighting designer from Hades. I mean, these are all Broadway people, like heavy-hitting Broadway people. So the intention here is for you're getting a top-notch Broadway production in a 270-seat theater. Oh, wow, it's okay. incredible. It's yeah. amazing. It's well, a phenomenal show. Yeah, now, look, and I'm no Broadway expert by, by any stretch of the imagination, but like you said, you know, Little Shop was off-Broadway for, you know, however many years. How long had it been since there was an adaptation of Little Shop running in the city? I, I know there was a big break in there. There was, I think there was an, I think it was, I want to say it was 2003 or four. I don't know if it goes that far back, but I think it's around there. Okay. They so, did a Broadway revival of it. And, you know, um, Alan Menken, who was one of the co-writers of the, he did all the music, his partner, Howard Ashman wrote the lyrics and the, the book. So the story and Howard passed in the early nineties. And the Ashman Estate actually has been pretty hands-on and, and active here. Like they've been, they were at the first day of rehearsals. Alan Menken was at, has been at rehearsals when we record. When we made the cast recording. Alan Menken was there. He was. Um, we just played um, Jonathan Groff's last show was last night, so he was there last night. You know, at, and at the after party. I mean, they've been very hands-on intentionally. They want this to feel like the original they want the score to be like the original you know right and that's and that's what it is you know and it's it's really really special sure well and with there being a huge break you know in there there's going to be that um you know what's the word i'm looking for there's an appetite for people that may have seen the show you know 15 years ago or um, it, you know, people may remember the, the movie, I, I want to say it was Rick sure. Moranis. Um, yep. I, I mean, yep. what, wasn't that the late eighties that the movie was out? Um, yes. mm-hmm. you, you know, so when these things go away, right. And then they come back, there's almost like this, you know, re, uh, energization, you know, if that's even a word, you know, but people get re-energized about going back to see the show. So, I would imagine it's been hugely successful, um, you know, in, in its short time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It was like, a, it's a little bit of a perfect storm, you know, in that it's a tremendous cast and, and the fact that it hadn't, hasn't been accessible in a while. So I, I, the reviews were great. And I know from my experience at Head Over Heels that, that makes a difference. Unfortunately, you know, we didn't get, we got mixed reviews. Some, some publications really loved the show, but the New York times for better or for worse really is what (laughs) kind of drives it. And is is the main is what everybody looks to. So if the times, you know, it's not always the case because there have been shows in years that the times didn't give great reviews to, and they still survived and they did well in spite of that. But more often than not kind of the times dictates things you know yeah well they they were not favorable (laughs) to head of reels but they but they did love little shop so um yeah well (laughs) right well in in the world of rock and roll you know you're talking about the times in the world of rock and roll of course you know it's kind of rolling stone right if they exactly if they pan your record you know it's probably not going to do well and you know every time I, i think about that I say, go back in time and read the original review of Led Zeppelin One that Rolling Stone 
gave out, you know, and it, it was basically like, oh, these guys are hacks, you know, they're just regurgitating blues music. It's terrible. Led Zeppelin did okay. <laughs> you know, just, yeah, they, they overcame that a little bit. <laughs> they, they, they got, they got past their uh, panning by, by Rolling Stone. So yeah, I, look, I understand there's, there's a need for critics and I, I get all that, but all I'm saying is for our listeners, take that stuff with a grain of salt, you know, just because yeah. some critic says something isn't good or it's the greatest thing since sliced bread doesn't always translate into what you're going to like, you know, so. Absolutely. Um, well, now you mentioned the cast. Yeah, it's, such a sub, it's such a subjective thing, right? Art oh, in yeah. general, you know, for any one person to have that strong of an opinion about it and you know, for, for everyone else to just take that to heart and be, and think that that means that it's what it, you know, it's crap or it's whatever. Yeah. I won't like it. You know, it's, it's so subjective and what speaks to one doesn't always speak to another, you know? So definitely, you know, find your, find your own, find your own way out there in the world, yes. you know, figure it out, right. you know, no, don't be so reliant on that stuff. Definitely. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I, from your lips to God's ears, as we say here in the South, you know, I, I mean, we're recording this, you know, what, five or six days after, you know, the, the rock and roll hall of fame inductees were announced for this year. And, you know, look, I, I lost my mind a little bit, you know, Whitney Houston, you know, the notorious B.I.G., both inducted, which I think they're very valid artists. I think, you know, I think both of them deserve all the accolades and honors in the world that they can get. But when Whitney Houston goes in the rock and roll hall of fame before Judas Priest and Motorhead, I've got a problem with that. And Pat Benatar. Uh, yes, Excuse me, Pat exact, Benatar. Yeah. Hello. Todd Rundgren. I mean, nice. you know, and, and so all of that stuff is subjective and and biased. And when people say, oh, I'm completely unbiased, whenever somebody says to me, I'm completely unbiased, I know they're full of crap because <laughs> <laughs> it's like they're, they're false disclaimer. <laughs> exactly. Because when somebody says I'm completely unbiased here, that means you're super biased and everybody has mm -hmm. those, you know, biases in their life. Um, you know, so I think you do have to take it with a grain of salt and you can't get too totally. wrapped up into, you know, who won what Grammy, who won what Tony, whatever the world is. It's all yeah. subjective. You got to find what makes you happy. Absolutely. And sadly, I've come to learn, you know, I growing up, I always loved the Tonys. That was my favorite award show. Always. I thought it was the, the best. It was the most well done. It was I thought it was just like classy and smooth, like it was streamlined and it moved, the pacing was great and it was entertaining and all that stuff. And I'm so disillusioned now because I've come to find out again from people that I know in the industry, how political yeah. the Tonys are too, like everything else, right? Everything's political. And it's so disheartening to me that this is, this is what it's about, you know, that it's about politics and it's about who you know, and it can't just be about and again, I know, I understand that it's still subjective, even within that in terms of who, who you think did the best job acting or whatever, the, the best music. But I just wish it didn't, it wasn't political. And you mentioned the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and that is such a ridiculous political thing <laughs> that I read something interesting. And I won't go, I won't go into a huge diatribe about this because I could <laughs> very easily. Hey, but, it's your show, Dana. And I, under <laughs> <laughs> I understand that 
the rock hall has different categories. So you have sort of the influencer category and it's not solely about quote unquote rock and roll. Like people clearly are in and have been inducted who are not quote unquote rock and roll, you know, the staple singers and you know, people like that. So I understand, I think to a certain degree, how you might include a Whitney perhaps, um, Maybe. I, I mean, I'm still not, <laughs> not sure that I'm on board with that choice. But it was interesting how somebody, I heard somebody make this comment, how, why are we saying Whitney over Pat as if it's still yeah. only, there's only like room for one female artist every time, <laughs> every time there's an induction. Which is you know, when completely you, when ridiculous. When you multiple female. I know. Right. I mean, it, I mean yeah, I mean, I could go on for an hour about it. You know, Link Ray, I don't think, is still in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And the guy invented the friggin power chord on guitar. I mean, come on, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, things like that. And for me, again, speaking close to my heart, the Carpenters are not in. And if you're talking about influencers, yeah. I mean, they were the most successful American music act of the 1970s. Yes. And if you look at their album sales worldwide compared with many of the artists who have already been inducted, their sales are pretty much identical. So if you're talking from an influencer perspective and the fact of their massive success in the 70s and you look at artists like Madonna and people who have cited Karen Carpenter as being, you know, um, a huge role model for her vocally and things like maybe Madonna's not a great example. Sorry, but that was the first one that came to mind. <laughs> but um not like she's a you know vocal machine, but anyway, uh, I digress. But um, but like they should clearly be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame under the influencer category, you know. So to choose Whitney over them because because they go so much farther back, you know, their roots are anyway. It's just it's crazy. And Pat Benatar, and I'm not saying that Pat deserved it over necessarily over Judas Priest or Motorhead. I'm not I'm not putting her over them. But for me personally, she. I mean, you turned on MTV. You know, I'm, I'm old enough that I remember being a kid and turning on MTV, like literally when it first started and there was Pat Benatar everywhere. And Myron Grumbacher was like one of my favorite drummers because I got to see him on MTV and Pat was one of my favorite artists. And she was the shit then. I mean, she was like, she was doing it, you know, she was a vocal powerhouse and she was rocking and she was awesome. And as a female who was into music and into rock music specifically to see that all the time and to be so into her music and to know how many women specifically she influenced, it's a crime to me that she's not in again because, you know, I think women are underrepresented as it is, you know, in music and certainly in rock and roll. And I mean, the women deserve to be in, I mean, come on. It's just, it's crazy. But anyway, I, I could, I'm going to step down off my soapbox. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> I, I could not agree with you more, Dina, as is the case with most things when we discuss this stuff. I mean, you know, I think you and yeah. I see eye to eye on it. It's, um, you know, we we need a better way, I think, of, of recognizing people and, and you know, and I don't want to get into a huge rabbit hole here, but, you know, the great Tanya Tucker, you know, country artist, hadn't put out a mm-hmm. record in, I don't know, 15, 16 years. She put out a great record with, you know, Brandy Carlisle was one of the co-producers mm-hmm. on it. 
but basically it was, you know, give me my flowers while I'm alive, you know, was, was, you know, I think one of the songs on there, we we need to recognize these people while we can. And it's, you know, I think the nod, for example, to motorhead was, Oh my God, we lost Lemmy a couple of years back. Maybe we should put them on the ballot. You know, I I mean, look, bands like Judas priest, dare I say they invented the British invasion of heavy metal to the United States. Totally. You know, so if you want to talk about influence, you know, I, I would say it doesn't get much bigger than that. Without Judas Priest, right. you probably never have Metallica. Right. Or So, I mean, I think we can trace all of those things back to a certain root, um, and we kind of tend to snub those roots when we want to recognize them. Um, you know, I, I'm a member of the Recording Academy. I vote on the Grammys. And when I did my ballot back in December, I'm serious, like in the pop category or the rock category, I almost didn't recognize any of the names. You know, it's it's gotten that bad that it's like, Jesus, did nobody that I've actually ever heard release a record this year? (laughs) And, and And the answer is definitely no, that's not the case. It's just they're not being recognized. So. I don't know. I I don't know how we fix that, but it's certainly an ongoing issue. So, uh, well, I I appreciate your insights on that. Now, getting back to your career, um, you mentioned the cast record for Little Shop. Talk to me Mm -hmm. a little bit about that. I know that was just released digitally just just a few weeks ago. So talk to me a little bit about that process. That must have been pretty cool for you to get to go in the studio and and do that music as a release. Yes. Yeah, um, it was, you know, you always hope when you're working on a show because it's not a given that every show you work on will will do a cast recording because obviously it requires money. Right. Everything requires mm-hmm. it comes down to, to money unfortunately and when uh <clears throat> when we got word that we were going to go in and, and do a cast recording i was so excited for a variety of reasons you know as an artist you always love the opportunity to kind of leave your mark out there you know to have a permanent record so to speak yeah no pun intended of um of what of what you're doing of of your work you know you leave a little tiny imprint somewhere out there in the in the musical universe so there's that and um you know obviously from from the business side of things it means potential future revenue you know you'll get residual on on album sales so that's always great um unless you're on hamilton or a show of that magnitude it doesn't <laughs> tend to you know yeah. you're not you're not talking about millions of copies sold but Still, you know, it's like, oh, great, we're going to, you know, we can sell records and super, you know, but it's really more, it's about, hey, it's out there, you know, isn't this cool? I got to do this and it's out there. Um, And we got to do it. I think we tracked it in October and it's always a hellacious thing trying to make a Broadway (laughs) record because you have to work around um, days off and things of that nature because obviously you're running a show eight times a week. Right. You're not going to cancel a show to go make a record. So you've got to work it in on off on your day on for the equity day off. So the actors have to go in on Monday and do the recording. Sometimes they ask the musicians to also be in there, but to really make sure that everything gets done. This is twice now that this is how it went for me. Cause it was the same with head over heels 
we have a Sunday matinee at three o'clock. So they had the musicians go into the recording studio at 10 a.m. on Sunday. We tracked until two o'clock. We hustled over to the theater. We did our matinee. Our show is only two hours long. So we went from three to five. We were back in the studio at six and I worked until 1145 that night. <laughs> um, so that was our, <laughs> that was our recording experience. So it can be, I mean, it's tough. You know, you got to, you got to squeeze it. And Head Over Heels was the same way. We had a matinee. We came in early. We did the matinee. We came back. You know, it was, it was crazy. So, um, and then it, that allows a full day Monday for the actors to go in and do all the vocals. So we were done with all the music in one day. We did the whole recording yeah. in one day. Sounds a whole lot like you're doing so, the, the Jamie Eads uh, recording schedule there. It, I mean, it just seems to be that's the way all of my <laughs> sessions go. It's like, hey, we need 14 drum tracks in, in the next three hours. Can you do that? Uh, sure. You know, I, so I would, why not? <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't be real picky about the snare sound, though. <laughs> that's right. You get what you get. <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> But, you know, when I saw you, you know, um, on social media, you, you were like, hey, th this just happened. How cool kind of thing. I was really excited to hear about it. So um, that hit the streets in December. Is that right? Yes. December 20th, I believe, was the official digital drop date. And there's rumor that there's going to be some physical copy, maybe. That's what, I, that's what I've been told. Um, I don't know what the holdup has been, but um, they, they definitely want it to sell at the theater along with the rest of the merch. Oh, okay. You know, we have, we have some t-shirts and posters and, you know, little plants and <laughs> yeah. fun little memorabilia and stuff that, that we sell. And I, I, my, my understanding is they want to add, you know, the CDs to that, to that merch. Cool. So, cool. But I don't, I haven't been given any official, official word on that when it's going to happen. Okay. Well, and, and presumably, you know, you can go grab this cast recording wherever fine digital music is sold. Yes, that is correct. Okay. All <laughs> right. So, so for those of you out there listening to, uh, to our interview, help Dina with, uh, you know, the payments on the new lease of the apartment, you know, some, with some residual, <laughs> some residual mechanical royalties, go buy, mm -hmm. go buy a copy, right, Dina? <laughs> That's right. Um, I think they're calling it the the new off Broadway. I think it's called the new off Broadway, but it's got because there's a few different recordings up there. It's it's the one with the white background. It's white background and red and green letters. That's, okay. That's the. That's the graphic that you're looking for. All right. So we, the other ones were like more of a solid green kind of kind of vibe, but this is white, the uh, white background. Okay. So that's what but you're looking for. You'll see Jonathan Groff's name comes up. You know, you'll see you'll see Jonathan's name associated with it. So that'll be the okay, cool. The, the the foolproof way to make sure you got the right one. All right. So kids, that's your homework assignment for this week. <laughs> go go find a copy and let's help Dina mm -hmm. out. So. Um, after we had you on the show, uh, last year, you know, I, I didn't get any specific, Hey, will you ask Dina kind of emails, but I did get into a conversation with a couple of listeners via email and they were like, you know, how hard is it to do a Broadway show? Wouldn't you just get burnt out, you know, reading the same chart night after night? So I'm going to let you, the expert, you know, kind of give us some pros and cons to that steady gig on Broadway and, and it, you know, just quickly walk me through what your typical day is like. Okay. 
Well, you know, the pro, I think in many ways, the pros and the cons are it's eight shows a week. It's like, it's great. It's eight shows a week. I get to go play my drums eight times a week for, for this particular show. It's two hours a show, right? And that's amazing. And the downside is I get to do that eight times a week because <laughs> you're doing the same thing every time. And I, you know, it will vary, I think. My understanding is, again, I, I'm, I'm relatively new to this, so I don't have a huge frame of reference, but my understanding is it, it may vary from music director to music director in terms of how much leeway they allow in terms of the, the book sort of evolving over time. Yeah. So if, if you begin work on a show and the, the book becomes sort of solidified, right? Because oftentimes, I, would, I won't even say oftentimes, all the time, when you're handed your, your book, your drum music, what you ultimately play is not what's in the ink. Um, and partly because people who orchestrate for drums aren't drummers and they don't necessarily <laughs> understand what will maybe sound the best. No, I'm being serious. No, you know, it will. It's, it's, and it's, I'm, not being, I'm not being disrespectful in any way to the people who do that. No, I no, just no. think... You know, I, you only know so much without playing the instrument, right? You yeah. can only know so much. Well, I, I think I, I'm going back to the great Bernie Dressel, you know, who does pretty much all Hollywood scoring on drums now. I mean, I, he's like one of three guys that does movie soundtracks. And, mm. you know, he said on this show, he was like, most of the time, it's not a drummer that wrote, you know, my chart. And he was like, I'll look through it and it'll be like, okay, hit these seven things at the same time. And he's like, <laughs> totally, <laughs> dude, I've only got four limbs. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to have to improvise. Something's getting left out. I'm not using my head totally. on a crash symbol. Right. So <laughs> that's, that's why I laughed. Yeah, that's correct. Like in my, you know, the, the guy who orchestrated for, for head of, not for head over heels, I'm sorry, for, for little shop, um, has a lot of flams throughout throughout the book and there are some times where it's like a flam and a crash cymbal and i'm like yeah i can't really do, I can't really pull that off you know so anyway so there's sometimes it's subtle things like that or sometimes it's a little bigger than that and, and head over heels for example we were doing a song and the bpms were fairly high and it was like all eighth notes on the kick drum and knowing the go-go's music the bit that I do, it was like, no, Gina did that on the floor, Tom. That's not on the kick drum. That's on the floor, Tom. So yeah. you just move it or you put, you know, you just, and, and you make the fills maybe a little more musical or whatever it is, you know, and then you settle into this fill works really good here. Or this is the groove for this or whatever the case may be. And then the book really becomes solidified. And the preference is that you do it the same way every show. Right. It's not about you getting creative. It's not about you. Oh, let me try this tonight. Like, you know, you're not a touring <laughs> rock band, you know, and you're not going to improvise and you're not going to truly, you know, they don't really want it to have that feel. And if you think about it, you know, and I come from a sports background, so I, I always apply my team concept to everything. I yeah. did it when I was in Antigone Rising. It was always about for the greater good. It was never about me. Um, I'm, I'm more of the Ringo school of thought, you know, and coming up with, I want to work. I want to do what, what's going to work for the band rather than being a, a, a virtuoso and blowing chops. That's just never been my thing. I was never interested in that. I didn't work on it as a kid. I don't work on it now. You know, I'm, I'm about the groove and the part. Yeah. So um, I very much take that seriously, particularly with Broadway, because there's so much of what you're playing that is in concert with what's happening on stage. It's, you know, literally 
they have you in the room in rehearsals because they're literally choreographing to your to your drums and oh, we need a cymbal hit here because I'm do, they're going to do a leg kick or let's do a tom hit here because they're going to do a bend or they're going to do a whatever and it's like that it's that specific right yeah. so you it, there's really no opportunity for you to to get super creative in that i mean yes in in my book there's a, a measure that'll have you know for either a full bar or two beats it'll just have a line and it'll say fill so you create the fill you come up with the thing that's that's your opportunity to put you into the show. Right. You know, when, when it's, when it's asking you to create a fill, there's your moment, <laughs> you know, there's, yeah. there's your two beats, yeah. you know, do something there. But other than that, there's really not a ton of creativity. You do, you do get to put you into the book in some ways, you know, you can tweak grooves and do things, but essentially it's handed to you. You, you refine it, you solidify it, and then you play it eight times a week. Right. So, so so next Thursday, I think that's what you're talking about. You know, like how do you get from like doing that thing, right, right and not get bored out of your mind? <laughs> is that kind of the is that kind of the question? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think it. it you know, next Thursday, you can't decide. Okay, tonight I'm going to work on my Terry Bozio double kick ostinatos in the show. That's you, correct. You, you're not. <laughs> you, you, that that ain't That's happening. Correct. If you want to keep working, it ain't happening. Um, exactly. I guess exactly. you could so do it, but right. But I won't have this job for much longer. That's no, right. That's not true. Yeah. Um, so another blessing of of theater work is you can sub out. You know, you it's your chair, but you find your subs. You have people that you call on that you get them ready, you get them copies of your book, you get them a conductor video. So it's literally just a recording of the conductor monitor conducting the entire show. And I actually subbed um, in my break from Head Over Heels to uh, last summer until it closed. I was a sub at the Share Show on Broadway. Oh, so wow. I had my first opportunity to be a sub, which is single-handedly, like, the most terrifying experience of my entire life. <laughs> I can Opening only... for the Stones, 20,000 people, no problem. Yeah. Subbing on a Broadway show, oh my God. I terrifying. can only imagine. I can only... You don't only... get to rehearse. You have to do the work on your own. You walk in and you play a show. You have to know the cues. You have to know what's... It's terrifying. Anyway, um, so I have my crew of people, my subs, <clears throat> who... Um, I count on to relieve me whether I want a night at home just to sit home and do nothing or I have another gig. Yeah. You know, I get like in November, I got called um, to do two weekends, actually three weekends of shows with Kristen Chenoweth, who was one of the originals in Wicked. So I subbed out of Little Shop for three consecutive weekends and I went and worked with Kristen Chenoweth, which was amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. So, you know, you have opportunities to do stuff like that. You're not, you know, just because it's your chair doesn't mean you have to be there six days a week, eight shows a week, and you can never take a break. That's not, that's not how it goes. Yeah. So you find ways, you take a few days off and you, you know, you go away or you take a day off to sit home and watch football on a Sunday or you <laughs> go work another gig, whatever it is, that's going to, that's going to be good for your head, you know? And it's, it's kind of a, it's a weird thing. It's like the actors are expected to be there all the time, right? Because they're visible, they're on stage and that's who people are going to see, right? They're paying money to go see those people perform, but it's it's a different level of expectation, I guess, with the musicians. It's understood that we are going to take time off. And in a sense, to do right by the show, we need to take time off to make sure that our subs stay fresh and are able to play the show well. 
Yeah, well, and if, if you if they never get to do it, they never get to learn it, and they never get good at it. Right, and, and so it's it, kind of a weird balance. It, well, it is, and I, I would assume they don't want Dina to be completely fried. And like, if I play this one more time, I'm gonna go postal on everybody. You know, they, <laughs> you know, the, these directors want you to take some time off so you can come back in two days fresh and ready to do it again, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they want what they always want. What's best for the show. Bottom line. And some people will, will play it and not take the time and they like, they're happy to be there and I'm happy to be there too. Don't get me wrong. Um, it's just a different philosophy. I think, um, I think it's having subbed and knowing how it's hard to be good at it when you don't do it a lot. Like you just, you get into a groove with it when you do it every so often and being away from it for a while, it makes it hard to walk in and play a great show. Because yeah. you're doing it cold. And again, you don't get a rehearsal. You don't get, can we run this one thing? I'm not sure on how, nope, <laughs> just go do it. You know, and it's, <laughs> it's live, you know, it's like, it's people are on stage counting on you and it's a big deal, you know, and, and there's really nowhere to hide when you're a drummer. It's, that's true in any scenario, right? When you're in a rock band, when you're <laughs> yeah. in, doing a jazz gig, if you're whatever, you know, it, you can't really hide, you know, if you're, if you're guitar two, on a Broadway show, you could duck down for a minute and the audience is not going to feel anything. Right. You know, if you're a drummer and you screw something up, if you miss a transition, if you botch a fill, if you screw up a tempo, if you, you know, it's like, they're going to know, it, it, people notice that, yeah. you know? So it's really, it's a pretty pressure filled scenario. And I just think it's, it's helpful if the subs can go in and do it every so often. So it's good for me to step away. It's good for them to go get to play it and to refresh on the show. And like, it's good for everybody, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, so what, what, what about you? Do you, um, you know, you're playing so much, you know, you're, you've got, let's call it 16 hours of, of stage time every week. Are you still taking time at home to, to work on new things? Are you practicing, you know, during that, that grind of being on a show or are you like, no, I'll get to the theater half an hour early and, and, you know, work on the pad, you know, what is your practice routine like while you're on a show? I always get on a pad at the theater. I have one that just lives there and I pull it out before, you know, I get, I get up to the booth, I get my coffee, I get my water. Um, I climb up to my treehouse, as we call it. The, the, the space there is really small. So there's a quick change booth, stage left, and there's a platform above the quick change booth where they have me in my own room and then a curtain. And on the other side of the curtain is the bass player. So we have to climb up a metal ladder, like um, like a thick picture, like a jungle gym kind of a vibe. Yeah. It's like this yeah. crazy metal thing that we climb up and built into the side of the, the quick change booth to get to the treehouse, So she and I, the bass player and I are on one side and then um, similarly directly opposite us stage, right. The guitar player and the uh, MD are on the other side. So it's small. It's only a four piece band. I'm also running Ableton, which oh, is wow. another little challenge. So yeah. I have to cue all the click tracks and all the, the Ableton stuff while I'm drumming. So that was like a whole other level of stress for me for the show. But I'm so happy that I had the opportunity to learn how to do that because that is making its way into Broadway now. Yeah, well, um, and if you have you know, that we have skill, percussion loops and we have uh, keys, you know, extra key patches and things that you know is coming through the Ableton. So yeah. I'm running all that. 
Well, and if you have that skill, you can go play anywhere with anybody. You know, I mean, that is that's a huge skill set. You know, it's one that I don't have. But like all of my Nashville buddies now are like experts in Ableton. Right. Because it's just expected on their gig now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not I didn't program it, so I wouldn't call myself an expert in Ableton, but I'm an expert. Uh, juggler, I can swivel my foot and and trigger that click, <laughs> and uh, you know yeah. manage manage the operation of it. I just I didn't do the programming, but yeah. that's a whole other thing that I haven't gotten to yet. But um, to your back to your question, I have not been great about spending a lot of time here in a in a regimented practice routine. Um, I I don't know if it's a product of my age in conjunction with. <laughs> you know, my sports background or whatever, but yeah. I have, you know, I, I have some flare ups, you know, I have a, a, t- a right, a tendonitis in my right forearm. I have a thing with my right hip flexor, you know, I have some injuries and it's, it's a fine line for me. Like I can't, I can't over, I can't overdo on a regular basis, you know, or I'm going to have a hard, I'm going to struggle at the gig. So I have to, I have to balance that, you know, so it's yeah. kind of a drag, but a lot of the practice that I do is in preparation for other gigs. I just did a gig last night at a place in town with an artist who was in, uh, he, he was in Kinky Boots and he was in Spider-Man and, and Rock of Ages. So he's a theater guy. His name's Joey Taranto, crazy high voice, like sings like a lunatic, like unbelievable register for the, this guy. So we did a rock show last night and I had um, <laughs> hours of rehearsal between both of my two show days. So like I had a three and a half hour rehearsal, then I played my Wednesday matinee and played a show Wednesday night. And then Saturday, I played my matinee, did a two-hour rehearsal, and then played my Saturday night show, and then played the show last night with him after my, my matinee. Wow. So it's like if you, you know, it can get really busy just in the playing arena, and you have to, again, like, walk the fine line between overdoing and, you know, exerting and and working on what you need to work on. So I have thing, I have a list of things that I'm going to tackle once I get through, like, now that I'm through this gig and I have a little bit of breathing room. I'm going to dive into some stuff here that I've been wanting to work on. So um, that's forthcoming, but it'll be, it'll be not like, I'm not doing like five hours in a room kind of thing. I, I just <laughs> right. can't. Well, you know, you, it's, you're it's, a woman and a drummer after my own heart, Dina, because I have a whole <laughs> list of things that <laughs> like every drummer yeah. alive. Never got, ending. Got a Never whole ending list thing. of you know, things that I'm going to work on. And it's, it's hard. Yeah. It is, you know, and it's hard when you're when you're looking for other other gigs all the time, right? And it's no different from even though I have a gig, like my eyes are always like, okay, well, what can I get into next? And what's the next thing? What's the next show? And where am I going to be? And what skills might I need for that? And I need to work on that, and you know that kind of thing. But um, but you're also running your own business. You know, you're your own advocate. You have to maintain your website and you have to field emails and you have to do social media and you have to, you know, there's all that other nonsense that goes into, you know, being your own business person. Yeah. Well, and and you've got evil and it all takes time. Yeah. You've got dudes in Kentucky like, Hey, when can we get you back on the drum shuffle all the time? (laughs) You know, it's so I, I, I totally get it, but you know, here's the cool thing uh, about what you just said, you know, kind of one of the running themes here on on this show. And I think it's so important. Drummers are often, you know, just put into we're pigeonholed into that. Oh, side man, side woman. You know, you're always reliant on whatever band you're playing with or, or 
whatever the gig is, you're, you're just a side man, right? Or a side woman. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that I talk about all the time is we as a community of drummers need to take control of our own careers. You don't have to be beholden to your next gig. There is a whole universe of possibility out there if you just take control and think it through. And I think that's what's so cool about your gig. Yes, you're the, you know, the drummer on Little Shop of Horrors, but that doesn't mean that's the only thing you're doing. You're always, you've always got the ball in motion. Like what, what else can I get into? Can I go do a gig, you know, on Sunday night after the matinee? Yes. Um, you know, I know that's a challenge, but it's great that you do it. And, and it's, it all goes into that, you know, recipe of what makes Dina a great drummer, right? Well, yeah, I guess. I mean, you know, all the all those opportunities to meet people is part of the business part, right? You always want to it's networking is such a huge part of of what we do in general. I didn't know, you know, again, having been introduced to this, you know, relatively not that, you know, not that long ago. It's it's huge in Broadway. It's who you know because the the MDs and the music supervisors and those people are the ones who are sending your name around. Yeah. And it's, it's huge to be able to get into a different environment. Here's the other trap of Broadway. You're, if you allow yourself to just do your eight shows a week and just go to that theater every day and that's your only circle of people, then that's as big as your circle is going to be. You know, yeah. your, your goal as a business person is always to broaden the circle, right? You want to meet more people. You want to have your name being passed around to as many people as possible. And in that, you want to show up prepared and, and kick ass so that people are impressed with what you do. You got to look good. You got to sound good. You got to be easy to work with. It's a whole recipe of things, you know? Yeah. So last night was another opportunity for me to do that. These were people that MD I've worked with before. He's the one who brought me in. But in terms of the artists on stage with me, I didn't, I had never worked with Joey and the other people who were up there singing and, you know, they loved the band. They thought the band sounded great. And, you know, Joey said to me, will you work with me again? I loved having you. Of course, that'd be great. I would love to, you know, so that's, that's how you do it. Yeah. You know, you, you prepare. I made my own charts, um, which took hours. Um, the MD put, you know, uploaded charts, but again, the beauty of being a drummer, <laughs> oh, there's a bass, a bass chart and a guitar chart and a PV, but there's no drum chart. Right. So either, you know, we did, we did a medley of songs last night, which literally, if you're following a piano vocal chart, it was 29 pages. Oh, Am I really going to do like 20 page turns while I'm trying to play a thing that I had no idea how it went? Yeah. You know what I mean? So right. I wrote my own chart and I opened it and I made it into two pages. We did Bad Out of Hell by Meatloaf, which oh, is a wow. 10 minute long song. Yeah. I got it onto two pages. I charted it to two pages so I could, you know, not have to page turn. Yeah. You know, those are the things that you try to do to set yourself up to be successful and not have it be a crash and burn experience right. as best you can. I mean, right. you're going to have to, you know, improvise and just do what you got to do to get through the gig to some degree, but, um, cause we didn't rehearse a lot, but having my own charts and being able to not be stuck in page turns, I think allowed it to be a much easier night for me. So you figure out what works for you. I mean, a lot of people now are going to the iPads, yeah. you know, they're, they're uploading all their, their PDFs and all their stuff to the iPad and you can connect a foot switch and you can do the page turns that way so that you're not 
doing it old school like me. I'm just, I like paper. I'm old school. I don't know. I just, there's something about having a chart on paper <laughs> on a music stand that I like. I don't know. It's weird, but <laughs> that's my thing. Well, you, so, you, you and I traded texts about old school, you know, when we were setting up this interview, you know, and I'm so painfully old school. Like I, I did a, um, a session back in early November. First time in my career, I was asked to do a couple of Christmas tunes. Right. And, Um, you know, and I'm not a guy that knows, you know, all the chords and, you know, I'm not a a strong reader. I can barely read just, just enough to like, oh, okay. I kind of see what you're trying to do here. But it was with a a group of guys that were all using the Nashville number system. Right. And it Mm -hmm. was literally Mm -hmm. one page of numbers, but I was smart enough to go, okay, I see where they're doing chord changes I see where we're changing sections. I know what to do. And literally we ran through the song a couple of times. And the second time through the bass player was like, well, if that's not good enough, screw them, you know? And so, I, I, <laughs> I, you know, I'm breaking my arm, patting myself on the back here, but it was one of those deals where you just figure it out. Right. And, and, yeah. and do yeah. your best, but you have to be mm-hmm. at least semi-prepared in those situations. Absolutely. And you have to be, you know, and I don't know if this is a blessing or a curse for me. I think it can go both ways, but you know, with the bulk, yes, I, I took lessons for eight years and I learned how to read and I can read. I've read probably better when I was 12 than I do now because I was doing it <laughs> all the time. And my teacher had me reading crazy stuff Yeah, and I pull those books out and I go, what the heck? I don't even know how to read that now. You know, it's like all this crazy nonsense, but you know, then I got into rock bands and I wasn't reading because I didn't have to. I was playing covers or I was, you know, we were doing originals or whatever it was. And I didn't have to, you know, there were no charts, right? Right. So I got very reliant on my ears and my ears are good. Like I hear things and I pay attention. And I think that that, you know, there's sort of um, a dialogue in the Broadway community that, you know, Broadway used to be where you ended, not where you started, right? You would go out, you would come out of conservatory or whatever, and you would go on tour and you would do all this stuff and you'd have this career. And then you'd kind of make your way to Broadway and you'd sort of play your last however many years doing, doing theater work. And now it's the opposite. Kids are coming out of conservatory and they want to go right to Broadway. And sort of the more old school people in the community say that those players are not as desirable because they don't have that experience. They don't have that. They haven't developed their ears. They haven't developed an ability to play in a band scenario. And even though you're reading charts, you're still playing in a band. Yeah. You know, it's not just about burying your face in the book and burying your face in the chart. You still have to hear what people are doing and you're, you're still playing in a band, Yes. you know? So it's, it's like a fine line. You have to marry both. You have to be good at both. And I definitely rely on my ears. So my, my charts were good enough last night and they were actually were not right in a couple moments. You know, I didn't chart things correctly, but because I could hear and I was paying attention and I wasn't just buried <laughs> into my chart, I was yeah. like, oh, that's the, okay, that's the eighth note build. I got to get into that now. Yeah. And boom. And I shift gears and I do, you know, like you pay attention. You're not in a vacuum. You know, you're, you're making music together, even though I might be in my own booth and I'm looking at my drum book and I'm playing to a click and I'm doing all these things. You still have to listen. Yeah. Well, that brings up a really good question. You know, you you were talking about kids coming straight from conservatory. And well, I say kids, but you you know what I mean? Because I'm old. Yeah. (laughs) Get off my lawn. Um, (laughs) um, But, you know, saying that they're not as desirable for Broadway. 
how much of that, you know, and, and I want to be respectful of your time. I don't want to, you know, kill your morning. But what I have found is sometimes you haven't learned all the shortcuts that are kind of built in and, and the lingo and the vernacular. Like, you know, when you go out on the road with a rock band, there are so many things, you know, like my first tour that I didn't know. Right. But you learn those things and, you know, it like we do it this way because it makes this easier. You know, if you do A, B becomes easier. Therefore, C becomes even that much more easy. Right. So yeah. I, I think that experience, just knowing how things are done and, and oh, this is why we do it like that. You can only get that through doing, right? Absolutely. And, you know, and random things like I remember <clears throat> when I was with Antigone, we were up, we were playing, uh, we, we had the same management as the band Mo for okay. a little while. And yeah. we, were, we played their festival, I think it was called Mo Down, up in upstate New York or Vermont, or I forget where it was. But we were up, we were up there and we're on stage and the power goes out. <laughs> Oh, nice. you know, we're like in the middle of whatever we're doing. And, you know, you, what do you do? Like there's no guitar, there's no vocal, there's nothing. So I keep playing and we improvise. And Kristen, who was our rhythm guitar player and the band's original drummer goes and grabs percussion. And like, we turn it into a drum jam until the power comes back on, (laughs) you know, and like those moments, you know, where stuff goes wrong and you can't script it and you've, you know, so translate that to, I'm at head over heels. And I don't know if I shared this last time. And if I did, I'm really sorry and stop me. You know, not only was I in my own room, I mean, it's customary regardless. You have a conductor monitor, you know, you've got a TV screen with your mon- with your music director who you're getting all your cues from as you're playing the show. Right. Right. So I'm down in my basement and we're starting act two and we're halfway through the opening number of act two and the monitor feed goes out. So I have yeah. in the room by myself yeah. to play the entire act and I can't see anybody. I can't see my, my music director. Yeah, well, I mean, you've got that was two, a little ner- that was slightly nerve wracking. Yeah, I mean, you've got two choices: either deal with it, suck it up, and and trust yourself. You know, trust your charts, trust that I've done this before, or you can just stop playing drums and become a cable technician, yeah. right? I mean, that's yeah, exa- exactly, exactly. So, but given the choice, had, right? But had I not had my years on the road with. Right power going out and all these random things that you, that you're thrust into, you know, for whatever reason, you know, because I'm a little seasoned in that way, it was like, okay, I got this. And kudos to my MD who brilliantly just started talking everybody through it. And the rest of the band was on the platform with her. So they had eye contact on her to her, but the rest of the show is being run. You know, all the lighting cues and everything are coming off of her cues from the music stand. So it's not just about me. It's like the whole show is reliant on and nobody could see her. Right. So, so she just started talking through everything and, and it was like, it was, we got through it. It was great, you know? And it was one of those things that was like, okay, I did that. Now, if that ever happens again, I won't freak out. You know, it's just having to go through it once and you figure, you figure out a way to, to persevere and to, you know, keep your head and not freak out. And, you know, and, I think I credit that to my years of touring and, and being a seasoned musician. You know, had I come right out of school and hadn't been playing in bands and hadn't, that would have been a whole different 
a whole different moment for me. Yeah. Completely. I mean, you may have shut down completely. And, you know, I, I think the the cardinal rule on Broadway is the show must go on no matter what, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. So, and the other the other tagline is everybody says jokingly, "It's live theater. Like you get what you get. Like shit goes on. You know, <laughs> stuff happens <laughs> for sure." So yeah, absolutely. Well, Dina, you know, I've said this before, and and look, I, I'm not trying to uh, you know embarrass you or anything like that, but I just I, I super respect what it is you do. Uh, and, and I'm sincere when I say you're just one of my favorite people. You always have such a positive attitude about everything and you're you're always down to help and answer questions. And, um, you know, kudos to you for just doing what you do at such a high level. Um, you know, I want to make this kind of an annual tradition. We've got to have you back more often, you know, at least once a year just to tell everybody what's going on, because you know, I mean, I think we tend to focus on the guys that are out there on the road with a live band, and I find it immensely uh, intriguing and entertaining your role in the drumming community because it's cool, you know? Thank you. Yeah, well, you're well I, love, I love what I do. I'm very passionate about what I do, and I love talking about it, and I love sharing with other people. So I'm happy to field questions from anyone who wants to reach out to me, anybody who just is curious about anything we haven't talked about in regard to Broadway or whatever. I mean, I'm happy to, I'm happy to be in touch with people. So no, oh, that's so kind open invitation. of invitation. Yeah. That's so kind of you. And you know, I, I'm sure that, you know, um, everybody knows I answer all the emails that come into the drum shuffle. So if you do have questions for Dina, I'm always happy to forward those along and, you know, we, we try to be in contact, you know, a few times every year. Uh, I keep telling her I'm going to come up to the city and catch a show, but, you know, I never, it seems like I never leave Kentucky. I'm just kind of trapped down here with, you know, in this world. But um, Dina, it, it, seriously, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Um, keep us up to date. You know, I'll link everything, uh, you know, to our show, how people can get in touch and see your website. I know you've got a contact link on your website, uh, but keep us up yep. to date on everything that's going on. And, uh, um, you know, we got to have you back again, you know, because I just think this is so cool. I, I really do appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's always a pleasure and I'm happy to be back Anytime you have time for me, you oh, just let me know. Awesome. You, you, you know, I will. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. And for anybody interested, uh, just a little plug for my website, dinatoriello.com. You can find me there. Um, and again, any questions, there is a link. You can, you can, you know, get in touch with me directly through, through my website. So. Fantastic. We'll send some folks your Thank way. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dina. Have a great one. I'll talk to you real soon. Okay. Bye, Jamie. See ya. All right, everybody. That's going to wrap up episode 87 of the Drum Shuffle. As always, thank you guys so much for tuning in. We we cannot do this show without you. I know I say that every week, but I'm sincere. I mean that. We can't do it without you tuning in. Uh, as always, the favor that I'm going to ask from you 
hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you use to listen to the drum shuffle. Also, if you can take just a minute out of your day, give us a star rating on Apple Podcasts, uh, give us a review. That helps other folks find us in the search engines, and we certainly want to continue growing the show. Uh, it is a, a huge goal of mine, so thank you in advance for that. Many thanks to Dina Toriello for taking time out of her busy schedule to join us. Um, we have some great guests coming up. Uh, just a few interviews that I have confirmed. Uh, Corey Coverstone from the great young rock band Dirty Honey is going to be joining me later this week uh, for an interview. So that'll be coming your way. We're also going to have a revisit from the wonderful Scott Hessel of the Gin Blossoms. Uh, he was our guest way back on episode number two. So looking forward to having Scott back on the show. And we're also working with Nate Morton from The Voice to get him scheduled to come back and catch everybody up. He was our guest way back on episode number eight. So you're not going to want to miss those. So uh, make sure you keep it tuned right here uh, because, uh, again, we just have the best guests in the world and we love catching up with these guys and girls about their drumming shenanigans and adventures. As always, we answer every single email we receive over at the Drum Shuffle Podcast at gmail.com. Our web address is thedrumshuffle.com, and you can find more information about me over at jamieeds.com. While you're there, click on those social media links, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We do try to have social media output. You can follow me and the show there as well and we do appreciate that again thank you guys so much for tuning in catch us back here next week uh, we'll have another great interview for you and hopefully you'll get something out of that as well so until next time may your head stay strong and your sticks never break cheers everybody cheers